Hello and welcome. This is a podcast of ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org, and this is our podcast Explaining Ukraine. Today we will be talking about Russia's military escalation against Ukraine. During March and April, Russia accumulated around 90,000 troops on Ukraine's border, masking it as a military exercise. Ukraine and its international partners perceived it as a threat of a full-fledged military aggression, even despite the fact that on April 22nd, Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shaigu announced the end of the military exercise and ordered that troops return to their permanent locations, risks of further military escalation both on land and sea remain very high. My guest today is Maria Zolkina, Ukrainian analyst, senior fellow at the Ilko Kucherev Democratic Initiatives Foundation. Good afternoon, Maria. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for joining our podcast what how how you perceive uh, these developments in the recent months i mean the uh, concentration of russian troops along ukrainian border uh, and all this pressure on ukraine on ukraine's international partners which seem to be coming from the kremlin i perceive it as a huge political and diplomatic intimidation made by russia in order to address uh, the most important for russia capitals of the western world First of all, Washington and to um, uh, actually less extent, uh, uh, Berlin uh, and um, Paris and also uh, London. Uh, and I think that this situation uh, of escalation along the Ukrainian borders and all the rhetorics used by Russia to support this escalation, uh, it, it showed, it demonstrated very clearly that um, the main addressee of Russian international politics and policy uh, is not Ukrainian um, authorities, like it was not, uh, they were not in 2014. So from this point of view, uh, geopolitically, almost nothing have, uh, has changed since that time. Uh, so Russia tries to play with Ukrainian issues, with Russian-Ukrainian conflict, but uh, perceive Ukrainian uh, conflict um, only as an instrument uh, to, to, to speak uh, from the new point, uh, from the new start, let's say, with Western capitals. So you're basically seeing the situation as a kind of a message to Western uh, Western uh, big big powers like United States, France, Germany, uh, to kind of uh, respect Russia, something like this. Uh, maybe there are interpretations that basically Putin is trying to get um, a meeting with Biden and kind of have the same footing after Biden called him a, a killer. It can be this. Uh, can be this a reason for that? Uh, yes, exactly. This is some kind of a message from Russia to the, let's say, collective West. Uh, I think that at this point of time, Russia is trying to, to some extent, reset, let's say, its relations with the, with the West. On the one hand, we have uh, the deadlock in negotiations between Ukraine and Russia uh, in Normandy 4. So no progress uh, regarding the Donbass issue. At the same time, Ukrainian authorities started changing uh, their negotiation position in order to make it more, let's say, rational or constructive, not to make wide compromises with Russia. Um, simultaneously, we uh, witnessed the change of a presidential administration um, in um, Washington, and we are expecting change of authorities in Germany. 
and also uh, presidential elections in France. So I, I just mentioned only those international issues which refers or have some relation to what is going on around Ukraine and can influence Ukrainian and Russian conflict. And taking into regard all these factors, all these like uh, new variables, Russia tried to reset um, its relations with the Western capitals to say that uh, it has to be respected, it has to speak uh, like an equal partner, because rhetorics of uh, new um, uh, president of uh, the US is much more radical than of the previous one. Uh, I mean, Trump and uh, much more radical than rhetorics and um, practical policy of European capitals, including those included in Normandy form in Berlin and Paris. And Russia simply tried uh, to make, on the one hand, um, Berlin, France uh, and um, uh, US respect Russia and try to... Um, I don't know, to uh, divide, let's say, again, areas of influence on international arena by using Ukrainian issue, by escalating situation with Ukraine. And at the same time, but it was not the priority for Russia, it was a minor issue for Russia. Uh, Russia tried to um, prevent all this diplomatic maneuver in Normandy for made by Ukrainian authorities to prevent Ukrainian authorities from new tactics when Kyiv is not going uh, to make compromises with Russia, just to create, if there is no room for compromise, uh, if there is no room for maneuver, Russia make everything by military means to create this room for uh, maneuver. Let's come back uh, a little bit later to these Ukrainian tactics and what's going on in the Normandy for, uh, format. But let me ask about the recent developments. So yesterday, Mr. Shoigu announced that uh, Russia is ending these uh, kind of measures which it was taking along Ukraine's border, which, which constituted that major military threat, military escalation. Let me remind that around 90,000 troops were brought to Ukraine's border. Uh, in the eastern Ukraine, but also in Crimea, even in the northern, uh, closer to the northern border of Ukraine. Uh, should we still be prepared for possible retaliation and repeating of this scenario? And uh, should we still be uh, kind of uh, ready for a repeat of this escalation and maybe for a real massive Russian offensive? Uh, in my opinion, um, the real uh, and massive Russian offensive was uh, less possible than Russia tried to uh, to have us fear about. Uh, um, and the most probable scenario was and still is some kind of local escalations, local operations conducted by Russia in order to, on the one hand, uh, create the atmosphere of fear and intimidation of the West and Ukraine. On the other hand, not to be, uh, not not to meet, uh, not to face uh, any significant uh, sanctions or new portion of sectoral sanctions against Russia, because for Russia it's important to organize escalation uh, and to use the military uh, actions uh, as the instrument to influence its counterparts uh, or its vis-a-vis. -vis. 
uh, in terms of uh, diplomacy. But at the same time, Russia is not going to um, to become a, an object for new significant radical uh, um, sanctions, especially sectoral ones. And I think that some kind of local operations, which can be organized in different parts of Ukraine uh, or along Ukrainian borders, they still should be considered as an instrument which can be used by Russia. Uh, and I think that, um, so so that's why the, the, the perspective of a serious aggression, which will be the full-fledged from different directions, including the sea and the land, uh, I, I think it's over. And uh, from the very beginning, it was more like, an, an attempt to, to blackmail or to intimidate the West and Ukraine. But at the same time, Russia is not going to uh, return to um, the ceasefire regime, which was introduced last year in July. Uh, and uh, as of now, so Russia actually receives um, some bonuses, which it wanted from this escalation. On the one hand, it uh, we any new sanctions against Russia, serious one, I mean, those which could stop uh, some sectors or um, decrease uh, Russia's incomes in the most significant sectors of Russian economy, they were not introduced so far. At the same time, uh, some kind of readiness to negotiate with Russia was uh, demonstrated and presented mainly by the European Union and to a less extent by the Washington. I mean that, uh, that idea to meet. Um, uh, idea of Biden to meet with Putin. We don't know whether it will definitely happen, but that was what Russia wanted besides of other its priorities. Um, and at the same time, Russia didn't, you know, create the situation when uh, returned to, to, let's say, more or less calm situation on the front line in Donbass is not almost uh, is not is not an issue anymore almost at all because as of now they can just continue this uh, position in war um, along the division line in Donbas um, and stop all these discussions about the return to the ceasefire let me remind that uh, uh, about 30 soldiers ukrainian th- soldiers were killed uh, from the beginning of this year, and yesterday we had the news that one more soldier was killed. So indeed, we are not talking anymore in in any about any regime of ceasefire. There are these hostilities which are going on. But let me ask about one interpretation of the events: is the uh, Crimea issue. One of the interpretation is that Russia l- lacks water so much for its military bases in Crimea, and militarization is Crimea uh, of Crimea is basically creating this very uh, harsh need for water. We understand that before the annexation, water was coming mainly from Ukraine, and Ukraine is not supplying water for Crimea, saying that it's not supplying water for military bases, uh, military base. So how you interpreted this kind of uh, issue that Russia might try to you know, make an offensive in the southern Ukraine, for example, to get some more water for Crimea? Um, honestly speaking, I do not see the rational um, um, facts uh, which uh, support the idea that Russia will uh, 
open the new, let's say, front by trying to uh, grab some new territories in the south of Ukraine in order to receive control over the um, um, North Crimean um, water channel. Uh, but at the same time, taking into regard that they uh, stopped their so-called military trainings as of now, uh, I have um, a hypothesis that some informal uh, negotiations uh, could uh, have been held about the, the water issue. I mean, maybe with uh, involvement of Kiev, uh, maybe directly between uh, Moscow and um, for instance, Berlin and, and Paris, because they, they hold rather uh, intensive channel of communication with Russia during this escalation time uh, since uh, late February. Uh, so I hope that didn't happen and that no uh, negotiations with, uh, or at least no result of uh, these negotiations uh, uh, took place. But at the same time, it could happen. Uh, and Russia can try to uh, to reach uh, to solve this issue by different means. On the one hand, by military one, um, by simply attempt to to grab the new territories there and to occupy them in order to receive the control over the um, supply of water to Crimea. Uh, but this scenario seems to be much more risky than any other, in my opinion, exactly because Russia does not want any new sanctions, any real escalation and Cold War. It just wanted to receive what she wants with the less um, possible um, resources used for um, reaching this goal. Uh, but at the same time, the second scenario is that uh, Russia can continue uh, these negotiations on an informal basis because we know that issue of water supply uh, is a destructive for um, some kind of unity within Ukrainian society. So we have like, um, so this idea is not supported by Ukrainian public and Ukrainian authorities cannot um, usually um, uh, speak about this without any um, consequences, uh, without any public uh, protest against this idea. That That's why I I am afraid that such kind of negotiations because, uh, about this issue could be have been held, but we still don't know um, if they took place or not, and uh, what were the results. Um, I think that Crimean issue is um, um, sh should be considered, or some military escalation around Crimea should be considered not only from this. Um, so to say, land perspective, but also from the sea perspective, merit um, um, uh, one. Uh, I mean that l during last uh, months, we have seen that um, Russia can, um, can implement some escalation scenario in, um, um, in Azov Sea again, like it was in 2018 or something similar to that. Uh, or some kind of new provocations in two, um, uh, in uh, in the in the Black Sea, and that's why um, this front uh, of um, possible um, 
of possible conflict with Russia should should be as of now prepared and should be considered as an important one, not only by Kiev but also by our Western partners. I don't know if um, if if this is so seriously. Um, I mean, this uh, scenario is so seriously uh, considered by, by the West as it should uh, have been considered, but. Um, such a maneuvers in order to not to you know not to organize the land operation but to organize some provocation in the sea and in return to de-escalation in the sea demand some um some compromises from ukrainian side regarding water channels so yes water uh, supply of water is important is still an important issue for for russia but i think that it will organize if it will uh, it will organize some much more let's say uh, complicated uh, operation than just simply attempt to to occupy some part of uh, new territories in the south of ukraine Indeed, uh, the maritime issue, the sea issue is very important and we are seeing the gradual uh, attempts of Russia to kind of annex the Sea of Azov, uh, a very important uh, sea between Ukraine and Russia. And indeed, these developments are very important. Let me remind to our listeners that uh, we are talking with Maria Zolkina, who is a Ukrainian analyst and one of the brightest specialists in, in the Donbass issue uh, and senior fellow at the Ilko Kucherev Democratic Initiatives Foundation. So, Maria, you mentioned the situation in the Normandy 4 format and the Minsk negotiations that Ukraine had a new tactics. What What is this new tactics? What Ukraine is now trying to do? Uh, Ukrainian authorities have been trying uh, since actually the second half of 2020, trying to omit wide political compromises which are demanded from us by Russia. Um, so we have we have seen actually since 2019 that some kind of development or change of tactics uh, presented um, by uh, by President Zelensky and his team. So if uh, in 2019 and beginning of 2020, up to March 2020, uh, Ukrainian um, newly uh, elected president tried to um, set uh, informal channels of communication with Russia, they they tried to, um, you know, to... Uh, minimize diplomatic communication within Normandy 4 and at that time in uh, 2019 Berlin and uh, Paris were not satisfied by the way with this fact uh, but at the same time so the idea was uh, to to try to have a compromise to negotiate almost directly um, using maybe not formal but informal channels but directly and uh, the result was not uh, a satisfactory one because the result was the signing of draft of agreement about so-called consultative council in March 2020 between Yermak and Kozak, political advisors to the leaders of Zelensky and Putin, respectively. Um, and when this idea was not um, accepted, neither by Ukrainian society nor by our Western partners, because Berlin, for instance, was extremely against, let's say, this idea and was not ready to, um, together with Paris, to take any responsi- political responsibility for this 
for this uh, initiative of uh, so-called Consultative Council. And since that time, um, we have seen, we have witnessed incremental, with very small steps, change of um, uh, negotiation rhetorics and negotiation practice of Ukrainian team. They tried uh, to uh, renew negotiations mainly in Normandy 4 format. So to change this, like let's say, focus from informal negotiations with Russia to a more or less classic format, which was used since 2014, Normandy 4. At the same time, Ukrainian team tried to um, beat the most, um, the beat Russian position in Minsk TCG uh, regarding so-called representatives of uh, Donbas, representatives of actually those self-proclaimed republics, and that's why Ukrainian authorities included several um, IDPs into negotiations in Minsk TCG, trying to demonopolize how they presented um, representation of the Donbass. Uh, and since uh, July 2020, uh, Russia understood, and we have seen it from the problems within um, Normandy for negotiations and the level of um, political advisors to leaders, Russia has understood that um, Ukrainian authorities are not going to compromise, at least regarding special status um, uh, for Donbass, for occupied Donbass in Ukrainian constitution, regarding uh, the formula uh, that uh, security should be uh, first, uh, while Russia thinks that politics should be first, and regarding direct dialogue between Kiev on the one hand and Lugansk and Donetsk on the other. So this formula is demanded by Russians, Russians and is not and is rejected by Ukrainian side. So these are the main uh, crucial points, which are principle for Russians, but which are not acceptable for Ukrainian side. And practically, Ukrainian negotiators, uh, after receiving uh, agreement from Russia about the ceasefire regime in July, wanted to proceed um, with uh, another security issues. And uh, that was the, the most crucial uh, point in negotiations, in my opinion. So August 2020, when everything changed, because um, for Russians, ceasefire regime was already enough, was enough to, to, to switch to pro political provisions of Minsk. While for Ukrainian side, uh, uh, ceasefire regime was only the first step. Uh, and, as, and because of that clinch, uh, in August 2020, all the negotiations, all the constructive, let's say, because they, we can hardly name negotiations in means constructive, but uh, they, they became uh, almost fully blocked. Um, and uh, meet, even meetings hold between political advisors was, were also blocked and were not, uh, even if they met, uh, there were no results. So, and as, as a result, uh, till the end of uh, 2020, we received the situation of a political deadlock when Russia didn't change the set of its demands, direct dialogue, special status in constitution, firstly, um, first of all, elections, and then someone control over the border. 
and um, opposite position regarding all this issue presented by Ukrainian side. Um, in order to in order to react to this maneuver of Ukrainian authorities, Russia has to first they they tried to blackmail Ukrainian negotiators in Minsk, CG and in Normandy. For they blocked work and activity of all the working groups. So we have seen the blockage of the issue with exchange of prisoners. Uh, um, block of uh, progress, uh, lack of progress with the, all the humanitarian issues, opening the checkpoints, uh, movement of people through the division line, um, humanitarian demining, uh, and um, um, access of um, the Red Cross and um, SMM OEC to all the possible and needed for them um, places in uh, untemporary occupied territories. So it, it, it demonstrated the logic of Russia, you know, um, if there is no progress regarding political issues of means, so we do not need any progress in any other issue because we just, uh, I mean, Russians, they, they just try to, to sell one for another. Uh, and Ukrainian authorities were not able, even if someone within Ukrainian authorities were ready, but they were not able to buy what Russia tried to solve them. Let me remind that Minsk uh, TCG is a Minsk uh, trilateral contact group, right, uh, between Ukraine, Russia, and OAC, and in a way to you know to discuss all these practical issues around the the Minsk process uh, to implement the Minsk agreements. But I don't know if you agree with me that Minsk agreements themselves is a is a huge problem for Ukraine, especially the so-called Minsk II agreements of February 2015, because they constitute a kind of a, this Russian approach of coercion to peace, meaning all these political demands, which are basically unacceptable for Ukraine, the changes into constitution, the special status of Donbass, the election first and somewhere in the future control over the border, Ukrainian control over the border, etc. So these are kind of a, attempts of Russia to introduce a, a sort of Trojan horse into Ukrainian politics. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I don't know if you agree with me, but uh, it is kind of a more and more cynical. Um, it becomes more and more cynical because Russia understands that Ukraine political will not accept it and uh, have it as a precondition to peace is a kind of also very cynical position because if you ask people in the non-government control territories and there is sociology of that if you ask people what do you prefer to have a special status or to have uh, the end of the war immediately they will certainly say well, we want end of the war most of them right what do you think Regarding, uh, by the way, regarding the non-governmental territories, um, non-controlled non by the government um, territories, um, in late February, before huge escalation, but there was already some preparatory um, actions already there. Uh, so in the late February, we, um, in, Democratic, in Democratic Initiative Foundation, we organized uh, numerous interviews with people from, uh, from um, NGCA. Um, and they are not representative, of course. So this is only for to understand the general tendencies. Let's say what thoughts are widespread, uh, or what thoughts are um, like um, uh, present um, take place there in public uh, opinion of people living um, behind the, the division line. 
Um, and it was an interesting uh, tendency. We, we questioned, we polled simultaneously people who uh, were physically in uh, um, temporary occupied territories in Lugansk and Donetsk regions. And at the same time, we organized the poll in Stanitsa Luganska at checkpoint. Uh, and, all, and all the people who at that point of time, and now also, um, uh, cross the division line and go to the temporary occupied territories, they are obliged to have uh, the reg- registration uh, address um, in temporary occupied territories because self-proclaimed uh, authorities, they do not allow people without this kind of residential registration to um, enter these territories. And that's why we received, you know, two, um, they, they are not, of course, fully fledged um, 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 representative groups, but we polled people who had direct contacts and links to and relation to temporary occupied territories who uh, are resided there or lived live there permanently or from time to time, but who have direct relation to those territories and who have uh, spent a lot of time there simultaneously. But one group was polled directly while they were physically there, I mean respondents, uh, and another group was polled when those people were on the government-controlled territories. And there was a, a difference with the openness, with the readiness of people to answer those questions. While people, uh, when we asked about political future uh, and, what, and what measures can bring the peace to Donbass, so uh, the most widespread un- answers in temporary occupied territories was like, some um, loyal to Russia scenarios, I would say generally. So either integration of these territories to Russia or change of authorities within of authorities in Ukraine for um, political team which will be more loyal to Russia, and on this basis there will be some kind of compromise. But while we asked, actually. Neighbors, maybe, or friends or relatives of these respondents, but while they were uh, in uh, government controlled territories. So, the idea of uh, uh, pro Ukrainian scenarios was um, prevailing in, in public opinion. Uh, and that's why, uh, uh, as much as we, we can conclude that, you know, as much context we preserve with the people as much possibilities, opportunities they will have to move through the division line, the more chances that they will be more ready for the end of the war, but with um, reintegration of these territories, uh, not only just simple reintegration of these territories into Ukraine, but uh, for reintegration even on a pre-war conditions, like without even special status. But as less context we have with these people, uh, the more uh, the, the less context we have with these people, um, the more chances that they will be uh, trans- uh, transmitting, you know, some uh, uh, Russian propaganda messages, and they will be objects for um, for 
for these manipulations and they will support more pro-Russian scenarios because they simply do not need, they do not have a necessity to look for another sources of information. They do not support links with other people in government controlled areas and um, they will also be interested in the end of the war but on a more loyal for Russia scenario and that's the difference. Um, and 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 in this, uh, from this point of view, I I think that this uh, um, block of uh, and this stop of uh, movement of people through the division line, uh, it it continues almost it continues more than one year already, and this is the huge um, rollback in our efforts to to support horizontal links with people from non-government control areas because they 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 are not accessible for us as of now in terms of information and everything and of course it influence but uh, if i may if i may add also one more aspect people who permanently live in front line but government control areas we have witnessed we have fixed also one more important tendency regarding uh, the end of the war uh, and the price uh, which people are ready to pay to have this peace with Russia. Before 2019, uh, the idea that um, Ukraine should uh, compromise as much as possible in order to reach peace was um, one of the uh, was mostly presented in frontline areas in Donbas. Uh, so people were, and it was understandable from one point of view, because if people had uh, huge hostilities on the front line, then were interested that these hostilities would stop. But since 2000, end of 2018 and up to now, people have formulated one more condition for the peace. And they were not... And they are not ready, as of now, uh, as our focus groups and interviews showed, uh, they are not ready for reintegration of temporary occupied Donbas uh, without this condition fulfilled. And this condition is um, um, preservation of socio-economic stability in the region, in government control areas. It means that now people are not interested in peace at any price. On the contrary, they ask how this reintegration will influence their social stability, their economical stability in government control areas. Because as soon as people, you know, feel some kind of um, 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 welfare, it, of course, it's the situation is bad and incomes are low, but people felt like some stability in comparison to the previous years. And they try not to lose it. And that's why uh, the end of the war in government control areas, for instance, is directly linked not only to the end of hostilities, but also to the perspective not to lose what they have as of now in terms of social and economic stability. Thank you, Maria. Thank you very much. It's, it's really very revealing. Maybe my last question would be about scenarios. What what do you expect in the future? What scenarios can we project in uh, in development of both, you know, Russia's military blackmail and also development in Donbass and uh, around the peace process? Uh, 
So first of all, we shouldn't um, we shouldn't have any hopes about uh, renewal of uh, any kind of ceasefire. So this this issue is uh, is finished for Russia. Russia has um, has uh, by by this military escalation since the end of February, um, it has you know um, um, liquidate all the uh, all the hopes for that. And no one will uh, return to the real ceasefire anymore in the coming future because Russia doesn't uh, receive anything in return for its uh, more or less calm situation. It was not full-fledged ceasefire, but uh, at least it was less uh, hostilities than previously. So issue is is finished. Nothing will happen in terms of ceasefire. The The second important issue, what to expect. So in these circumstances, we should expect... Uh, renewal of uh, escalation, so it is already renewed, uh, escalation in Donbass, uh, and I think that this preservation of hostilities on the front line we will see in the um, in all the coming months. So this is the new normal for Donbass again, after half of the year of more or less calm situation on the front line, now we again have the position in war um, and the third point is that uh, it's um, it, it it can happen. It still can happen. Uh, this is uh, like uh, some specific, not huge, not full fledged, not massive offensive in Donbas, but some local operations in order to. Uh, to raise the escalation, to uh, to heaten the p- diplomatic negotiations, uh, to um, demand, uh, to make Ukrainian uh, be more ready to compromise about some specific issues in Donbas. So I uh, I think that the situation, that the scenario when Russia will organize some <clears throat> local operations exactly in Donbas to um, to try to you know to change the division line to move forward a little bit uh, it is uh, still possible and uh, at least russia is absolutely ready for that so all the um, all the military equipment all the troops uh, all the provision uh, all everything which should supply that should supply uh, such kind of um, um, active operations in order to go forward and to move the division line deeper into government-controlled territories. Everything is ready in Donbas, uh, and I think that this scenario is still, despite of yesterday's um, uh, announcement that Russia, you know, finished all these uh, huge military trainings. Um, this scenario is still possible, and Ukraine should be ready, let's say, for that. And Russia, and this scenario, let's say, is very uh, attractive for Russia because by by using rather small portion of resources, um, Russia can try to reach um, much more bonuses and uh, much um, broader goals by by hitting negotiations, by, um, you know, preparing some arguments for meeting with Biden or even without the meeting to 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 make to continue this intimidation, this blackmailing of, of the West. And at the same time, um, Russia 
is sure that some small, in terms of uh, from from the whole world, from the collective West point of view, this small operation in Donbas will not bring any um, huge reaction on, uh, on the side of, of the West. So Russia expect not to be, you know, not to meet any sanctions uh, in return to its operation. But at the same time, it will organize, you know, the, the, the small, uh, the small attack, small from the, the whole world point of view. So we, we have to be ready. Uh, and this scenario is still Possible. At the same time, uh, I expect that um, Russia can try to uh, organize much more activity uh, uh, in um, um, in marital area, uh, in terms of some activities in Black Sea or Azov Sea, for instance, to fully, so to say, annex Azov Sea from Ukraine and to stop. Uh, normal uh, usage of uh, Azov Sea by Ukrainian state. So um, that, that, that's why I think we have two important uh, points um, or two important scenarios uh, with military component to which we have to pay attention. One, some kind of operation in Donbas and the second one in the sea. Uh, at the same time, um, I... I, I I am afraid why why I think that for instance this scenario in Donbas is still possible despite like uh, announced the escalation by Russia because they have everything ready because they have uh, the the good uh, let's say back for them uh, for for these troops which can try to move a little bit forward uh, um, I think they will not try to you know to occupy the whole territories of um, uh, Donetsk and Lugansk region. No, they they even do not need that. But there are some di- some um, zones in um, uh, government control areas in front line uh, part of it, where um, it, it will be rather um, attractive for Russia to try to occupy these parts and to try to connect them with currently non-government control areas. That's why this risk is still possible and is still serious um, at the same time when it comes to diplomatic negotiations and scenarios here um, no uh, Normandy summit of the leaders no dialogue between um, ministries for um, foreign affairs uh, within Normandy format is expected in my opinion Putin simply doesn't need meetings with Zelensky, despite, by the way, his um, reaction to Zelensky's invitation to go and meet and in occupied Donbass. So this invitation to Moscow doesn't mean nothing. Putin doesn't need Zelensky and doesn't need these negotiations because he doesn't expect that he will receive what he wants. And that's why this diplomatic deadlock regarding uh, Donbas issue will still be in force at least uh, in the coming months when uh, when negotiation position of both parties will be the same. So there will be still some uh, some um, movements on the level of political advisors to leaders, but we have to keep in mind that political advisors channel is the lowest. Uh, in the hierarchy of uh, Normandy 4 format. And on this level, 
no uh, significant um, decisions are um, developed and uh, signed. So everything should go directly to the top, at least to ministers and then to uh, to the leaders. That's why there will be some prolongation of work around so-called clusters presented by Germany and France and uh, further developed by um, Russia and uh, Ukraine independently one from another. Um, and we will see, you know, the com- the competition between these two positions. And be- because uh, Ukrainian, for instance, proposals to these uh, German and French clusters, they simply demonstrate um, also uh, why these positions of Russia and Ukraine are so opposite. Because Ukrainian side has more and has has been paying more and more attention. Uh, to the idea that security should come first, which is a good because in at the beginning of presidency of Zelensky there was a high risk that they will you know ignore this idea that security should come first. Now they propose that not only the ceasefire, not only some kind of demilitarization should be before election, but also control over the border. Uh, we have to start renew, restore this control over the border, not only before the elections, but even before any political steps made by Ukrainian side. And I think that these clusters, they they can be the basis for further negotiations. But we have to also keep in mind some weak places uh, of our proposals. And uh, we have to keep in mind that Russia will still insist that there should be elections and then control over the border, there should be direct dialogue and everything like that. And Russia will never in the upcoming future change its position. So the deadlock as it is will uh, will stay in force when it comes to negotiations around Donbass. Thank you very much, Maria, for these sobering remarks. It's, indeed, it's very important that we don't perceive yesterday's news that uh, you know Russia is ending the so-called military exercise as something that ends the escalation. And indeed, you know, understanding that ceasefire is over and all those PT escalations can continue and Russia can even progress uh, deeper into Ukraine's territory. I think these are the risks that should be uh, evaluated and should be addressed. Thanks so much. We had Maria Zolkin, a Ukrainian analyst, senior fellow at the Ilko Kucherev Democratic Initiatives Foundation in Kiev. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. Subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Google Podcast, or Apple. Follow us on social networks, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and stay with us. 